Welcome to the Together for Good podcast, a podcast specifically designed to inspire, challenge, and uplift you during your daily walk of faith. My name is Colleen Mackey, and I'm your special guest host for today's episode. Today is a part of our Staff Stories series. I'm interviewing Pastor Nate. We talk about sitting with people in crisis, building community, and creative endeavors. Here we go. everybody. I'm here with Pastor Nate. As we flip the script, I'm interviewing him today so we can get to know him better and his work here at Bethany. I'm super nervous. This is so different. It is? (laughs) Really? I think I'll be okay, but yes, I'm I'm really grateful. This This was your idea. Yes. I believe, and I think it's, yeah, it's fun. So let's see what happens when I don't get to ask the questions. So my first question for you is, what do you do here all week at Bethany? Because you don't just work on Sundays, right? Correct, yes. And that is a common misconception with pastors is that pastors only work one day a week for a couple of hours. But as you well know, um, there's a lot that actually happens around the office during the week. And so, I mean, I think what would be helpful is to just kind of take folks through a Monday, because that's when there's so much going on. Don't you just love Mondays? Mondays are packed here. Yes. Sometimes I don't even make it to my office. <laughs> Correct, because it's meetings all the time. So um, as part of that, uh, first and foremost, we have a faith formation meeting where I sit down with the faith formation team. Shout out Brian Jaster and Gail Newell and Kevin Dragseth. Intern Rita also comes to those meetings and Paula Wills. So good team. But we're looking at and kind of planning ahead for the Faith Formation Activities of the Week, our Wednesday night programming, making sure we have everything in place in terms of curriculum and volunteers and just kind of making sure that runs. Then, you know this as well, is staff meeting at 11 o'clock, which is great for us all to get together, kind of check in, review the weekend, see how things went, and also just check in to make sure we know kind of what's happening in the week ahead. That's a meeting that um, it's it's usually really funny and I think it's really good for our morale. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I think more importantly is the meeting that comes after that. After that, I sit down with the pastoral team. So me and Pastor Gary, intern Rena and Janet Mortensen to talk through pastoral care. And so to have one time a week specifically when we look at, all right, who's in the hospital right now, who has an operation coming up, who needs to be checked in on additionally breaking up home visits So that is a part um, in my previous calls as well that I would spend a lot of time on during the week is making those visits to people who are in need. I think a typical pastor would do that as well during the week, those types of home communion visits, hospital visits, just to kind of, um, I think it's a really important part of being a pastor is bringing that presence of God um, sense to situations. I don't think I have any sort of magical skills, but by nature of my position, I, you know, by stepping into situations, it, it brings an awareness to how the spirit is at work. Um, and so, I've, I, you know, I take that really seriously, knowing that that's a part of how people understand my role and a part of what I'm able to then bring to a situation just by nature of showing up. I, I honestly usually have to say very little, maybe just offer a prayer and do a lot of listening. Um, but it is a chance to really change, I think, the tenor of a moment. If you've got someone who's in the hospital right before an operation, they might be really nervous about it. And just to have the pastor, someone from the church kind of show up and offer a prayer, I really notice like a difference in the room. It sort of changes people's um, perspective about what's to come and what's ahead. So it's a real privileged position to be in. Um, and, And yeah, I just think it's really important, even though it's so 
so subtle and hard to nail down. You know, like there's not, you know, it's like, yeah, I just kind of show up places and offer a prayer. And when you say it like that, it sounds really peripheral. But again, just something about it being a person from the church, person who, um, right, like as a pastor, I've been affirmed by the Lutheran church writ large to do this work. So it sort of carries added weight, I guess. Um, yeah, it's always kind of interesting to just think about the the nuances and logistics of what it means to be a pastor. So. And how long have you been a pastor? Oh, great question. So I have been ordained for 11 and a half years. And um, before my ordination, I worked in a church for three years prior to that. So really been working in a church for almost 15, but officially ordained for 11 now. And what is unique about your work here at Bethany? What do you love about it? What do you hate about it? Yeah. Oh, what do I hate about it? <laughs> what? Maybe a better way to phrase that is... Send it to the council. <laughs> what challenges you? Yeah, no, I, and, that, and I don't hate anything about my work here. There's things that definitely frustrate me. Um, but so just uh, to give you kind of a track record too. So over the 11 years, my first congregation that I served was Parkside Lutheran Church in Buffalo, New York. Um, right in um, a really interesting neighborhood in the city. And that was very, very hard work because that church, when I started as their pastor, had 30 people in worship on a Sunday. And so it was really kind of like, hey, I'm a new pastor, so you don't have to pay me very much Um, because there's like a sliding scale in terms of years of experience typically. Um, And it's like, well, you know, sink or swim, like maybe this will work out and, you know, you guys will be okay and maybe it won't. And that was... Uh, thankfully, it works. Parkside's still open. They have an awesome pastor now. Um, shout out Jeremiah Smith if you're listening. And he's super great and doing really good things. And I'm just glad that that place is still open. But that was so um, a really cool place to start ministry, um, like as a first pastor, but also so difficult because I constantly had this pressure hanging over me of like, hey, like, how are we going to pay the bills this year? Um, where, you know, how are we going to balance this budget or how much we had an endowment fund at least. And then it's like, all right, so the endowment fund means that we can manage this for one more year. Okay. Could, could we stretch it to two? And that's just a really interesting context to try and do ministry in because, um, there's the constant threat hanging over you of where are you going to get more people from and, and how are you going to encourage those people to give money to it? Additionally, um, Parkside Lutheran Church is this beautiful old building built in 1924, and it um, was not efficient. <laughs> like, I mean, we spent the budget, honestly, was the heating costs of the building, especially in those Buffalo winters, and my salary as a full time pastor, and very little else. Um, we had a janitor, we had an organist who was 10 hours a week. And that was our staff. Oh, and a secretary for some of the time that I was there. But not all of the time that I was there. Um, and so my weeks there looked very different than here. Because I was like the one who made the bulletins mm-hmm. every single week. And <laughs> there was just not a lot of other time for creative endeavors. Um, and any creative endeavors that I was pursuing had to have the express idea of like, okay, how will this bring more people in or more income into the church? One of the cool things that did happen there is we were we were able to find ways to use our building and rent it out to different organizations. Um, my b- 
big accomplishment, the thing I was most proud of, we had, there was a local yoga studio actually that was, um, had to shut down because their rent got too high. So I just emailed them like, hey, like we have a really big building. Like, do you want to do yoga classes here? And so they did and they're still operating there and they paid us a monthly, you know, rental fee and also created a lot of buzz because a ton of people would come all throughout the week to use that space. So it was just neat and I had a really good relationship with the, um, the director of the yoga studio. So that also helped for creative projects and the like. That sounds like a really interesting way to get rooted in the community in a way that isn't necessarily evangelizing or some of the more traditional ways that we think of churches being in the community, but more a partnership. Yeah, absolutely. And that's really what I was trying to stress to them too, of just like the, the, the church was off the beaten path and it was in this really awesome neighborhood, but you kind of had to, you had to make a left-hand turn off a main road to find it. And that was the thing. I said, like, nobody's going to know we're here. You know, like all these people in this neighborhood, they don't care about us at all. They just get upset when our church bells ring um, at the wrong time of the day, which is true. Uh, <laughs> so we had to find ways. Like, how can we help people find this place? Um, and so, yeah, that was, it was very challenging, though, and really exhausting, I would say. Um, and so then I worked at a church in Philadelphia where it was um, similar urban context in a you know in a neighborhood not like in downtown and um a little more healthy financially but not much and no staff me the musician a couple of part-time janitors no secretary at that that one Hmm. that church had a ton of really good volunteers which was nice like a lot of people who really cared about their church to keep it going so then some of the like day-to-day tasks were alleviated uh, more so than at the first church in Buffalo, but there's still so much always a question of like, how are we going to survive? What can we do to bring in more people? How can we help the neighborhood know we're here? That was a really interesting context because we were in um, Philadelphia, which is just at least in that neighborhood, familiarity with the Lutheran church was not common. Um, And that actually what I should say, that neighborhood was... I want to say 95% African-American in terms of demographics. And so um, the, the, most people tended to be uh, members of Baptist churches or AME churches. And there was a real hesitancy to a Lutheran church. And this was communicated to me a lot throughout the neighborhood. Is they're like, you worship Luther. I'm like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, they thought that, you know, like, there's just no familiarity because the Lutheran church tends to be very uh, European. Uh, and so just a lot of hesitancy. So there was constantly working to overcome their barriers. The additional thing we had working against us is that the largest church in Philadelphia was literally at the end of our block. Enon Tabernacle Baptist Church worships 20,000 people on a weekend. Um, they're very good at what they do. They do tons of stuff for the community. It's an awesome, awesome place um, with phenomenal preaching and music. And uh, yeah, people, it would be very hard to tell folks why they should come to Reformation and not just go down the street to Enon, where Mm -hmm. everything was very polished and exciting, um, but also largely anonymous. And so that is what we were able to provide. So that also, though, that was difficult. um, And I felt like so much of my time was just on the stress of how do we keep this place open? Um, How are we going to survive moving forward? And um, that church definitely had some conflicting viewpoints within, you know, there were kind of these factions within the church that wanted to go different directions. 
And so a lot of my work was trying to massage those um, two groups and try and find a way that we could collectively move forward. And that was not easy. And frankly, really hard on me because I just want everyone to be happy and to like me. Um, and that's not always the best perspective you can have when you're the leader of an organization. So that's how I ended up here. <laughs> and you've been at Bethany for, for three years. Three years. I know. I can't believe it. And some of that's been the pandemic, most of it. Yep, correct. I arrived in December 2019 um, along with the coronavirus. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> well, that was a shout out from Kevin in the kitchen. Awesome. Glad to have other people on the podcast. If any of you have been to the church office, my office is right next to the kitchen. So that's where we're at right now, um, <laughs> recording. Um, but yes, I've been here three years and the pandemic arrived. I was officially installed on February 9th. And by March 15th, we were shut down, um, at least not having in-person worship but continuing with online worship all throughout. And that's been as frustrating as the pandemic was. I really think it was um, really a neat space for me to step into as a new pastor here for two reasons. One, one of the things I've learned is that Bethany is a very big place with a lot of programming. And I think if everything had just rolled along, um, that I would have, you know, just kind of slotted in with the machine that is Bethany Lutheran Church and kind of done a lot of the things that we had done before. But because of the pandemic and everyone just kind of looking for, like, how can we, what else can we do? Um, because all of our typical programming was on hiatus, that allowed me to really stretch my creative wings and develop a lot of, you know, like a podcast. You know, this probably would not have happened at all if not for the pandemic, but the pandemic arrives and it's like, Hey, like I've done podcasting before. What do you think of us trying to do this? Sure. And you know, it's kind of continued from there. Uh, and there's been a lot of pieces like that too, in terms of social media, digital ministry, so many of my devotional books. Um, and the truth is uh, I had been keeping in my journals, um, just a list of ideas that I had wanted to try at a church. And most of those ideas I never had an opportunity to attempt in my previous calls because I was so con it's like, all right, this is a great idea, but will it help bring people in? Will it actually like help balance the budget? If not, I can't, you know, move my time towards that right now because there's so much else that needs to get done. And um, that might have even been the case here at Bethany, except we had this thing called the pandemic when <laughs> it was, you know, trying to find ways to continue to give value to people. So I, I was able to work my way through a lot of that list as part of the pandemic. Random things like the, the Seven Wonders Quest, if people remember that, when we mailed out a board game to people. Um, some of that was generated from random ideas I had had sitting on this idea list for the last seven years. Um, yeah, there's been a lot of pieces like that. And so that's that's been my favorite part about Bethany is that I've really felt like being on a team uh, has given me the opportunity to sort of um, explore some of these creative ideas that I've had in the past, but never been able to have time for. Uh, additionally, just the the financial stability of this place and not having that constant threat hanging over me of like, how are we going to find more people and more money? Um, that's just been so such a relief to not have that be the dominant thought in my head. 
but to instead think about how can we, you know, um, resource and equip and help people in their journey of faith, uh, which is really what I want to be doing. I'm, I'm not a businessman. <laughs> I, am, I am much more a pastor than a businessman, um, and that's okay. <laughs> well, you mentioned um, some of your creative endeavors here at Bethany, and I know that you write a lot of devotionals. I what do. draws you to writing? What do you like about it? Oh, great question. Yeah, I love doing that. Um, I don't know, and there's something, I just really, I really want to help people. My faith has been so important to me, and I have loved also just like learning more and, you know, gaining new skills and finding new ways to connect with my creator. Um, And I want to help other people do that. And so these devotional booklets just seem like a great way to um, to get ideas out there and to encourage people to kind of make this a daily part of their life. And um, I love that I can theme them and that I can, like the, the liturgical seasons is one of my absolute passions. I just love the idea of moving through the year with intention and kind of linking up the ideas that we explore, the things that we consume, linking that up with what's going on in the natural world as well. And the liturgical seasons really encourage that, you know, of having this chance to take a season for preparation, right? Like in in Advent when the ground is lying fallow and you're kind of just waiting for something new to begin and the days are getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Yeah, like what, I think there's something really um, interesting and, and beautiful about doing that same type of work in your own life as well and lining it up with what's going on outside in the world and saying like, okay, like as the world's days gets shorter, what does this mean for me as a being who's been created in the same way that this world has been created by the same, you know, loving God? And and then to, to also realize that then over the course of a year, you are kind of, you know, getting to explore all these different parts and not just getting narrowly focused on one aspect of your spiritual life, but you're encouraged then to do times of waiting and to do times of repentance and to do times of growth, um, among other things. So these devotional booklets, I've written at least one for every liturgical season, and that was intentional of like, yeah, like there's so much to explore within the spiritual life, and so how can we do that creatively? And I'm always trying to find like interesting angles. I love books. If you listen to the last podcast with Dell, I love books. But I also love taking an old medium and trying to find new ways for that to exist. And so something like like my the thing I'm most proud of is the Choose Your Own Adventure Lenten devotional <laughs> last year of just like, yeah, this is a book, but it's not one you read cover to cover. There's some different pieces to it. And previous devotional booklets have had like QR codes that link to songs that you can listen to to just kind of make it a more full experience. And so... Yeah, I don't, I mean, I just love being able to express ideas, being able to um, share these ideas and things that I'm passionate about. Um, while I do get the opportunity to preach here, like that's, you only give me 10 minutes and I have so much that I want to say. So I start things like podcasts and devotional booklets is just because um, there's so much to the life of faith that I really want to, yeah, to talk with people about and explore and share and think differently and I don't know I just I love ideas so any way that I can um, 
express and share those ideas is really uplifting for me. I really appreciate what you were saying about the different cycles of the seasons. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have a particular liturgical season that's your favorite? Yes, easy. Uh, Advent is the best liturgical season. Why? Four. Convince uh, me. One, no one knows this. No one talks about this. Advent hymns are your favorite hymns. You think it's Christmas carols? You're wrong. It's the Advent hymns. They are delightful and gorgeous. Like the lyrics are good. The tunes are amazing. I want you to listen. Advent's coming up. You're going to love every single hymn you sing in Advent. I guarantee it. So that's first and foremost. I'm very passionate about that. But also, the, um, and like scientists will tell you this too, um, the, the actually getting what you want isn't as exciting as the anticipation of it. And so I think Mm. Advent leans into that reality that's very true to our experience as well. Um, Christmas morning is amazing, but actually if you really think back, I'm guessing your fondest memories are all of the anticipation leading up to Christmas morning. And so that's kind of what Advent invites you into too, is just, yeah. The other thing about Advent is it's, it's only four weeks long, so it's a perfect liturgical season. Uh, it doesn't feel too long, like Pentecost. My gosh, end Pentecost. We're on week 23 um, coming up. But uh, so it's short, it's concise, the music's amazing, and there's just so much, like, there's just so much beauty around it in the rest of the world as well. People are excited, folks are happy and looking forward to the holiday coming up. Um, there's Christmas lights and Christmas tree, you know. There, it has it's very full in its expression where you've got you've got music you've got other sensory pieces you've got smells that really link with it um and and it's just short and concise and and it's just the perfect perfectly formed very whole liturgical season Hmm. there you go what's your favorite i think you've convinced me i was gonna say advent okay I like the songs, and I do, I find, like, something very comforting about, like, preparing the home and making yes. cookies and some of the more secular things that we think of in Advent, um, like, really making space for the new, the new change in seasons, and, yeah, I love it. And it's short. Pentecost is too long. Even, even Lent feels too long, and Lent's really cool. Um, I don't know if anyone ever picked Lent as their favorite season. Um, Lent has some of the other pieces but it doesn't feel quite as fully formed. And I think that's also intentional, right? Because it's more about fasting and lack mm-hmm. and simplicity um, versus Advent where it can feel more robust. That's what I'm abundance. Living uh-huh. into abundance, that really feels yeah, good. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when you're not here, when you're not pastoring, what are you doing? Okay. Uh, my so Describe your perfect day. <laughs> This is one of my favorite questions. Um, I won't go into all the details of my favorite day. No, because uh, that that's a whole podcast in and of itself. Um, every Friday morning I play pickup basketball, which is my joy and my medicine, and I love it so much. I also, as you know, I do a lot of yoga, and yoga is something I really love and am passionate about. So going to classes or finding YouTube videos um, or preparing for the class I teach here at Bethany on Wednesdays at noon. Um, so that's all it. And then, uh, the thing I joke about is that ever since having kids, almost all of my hobbies have become very, very quiet. Mm. <laughs> it's just, 
because kids are so loud and they always want something. And so I just love reading books. I write, I, I read books all the time um, and listen to audiobooks as well. I love to go on runs. Um, Colorado is beautiful and the weather is nice for almost all of the year. Like it's always conducive to running. So it's just the best that I can do that 12 months of the year. And yeah, and yoga and meditation, right? So between reading, running, yoga, meditation, like it's just quiet. Just just leave me alone. Very quiet, very meditative. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, And then, yeah, and I watch a lot of basketball on TV. I'm trying to think of what else. Honestly, those are the main things. I've also recently gotten into um, mixology, as in making cocktails. Okay. So I really cool. enjoy that. Um, What's obviously, your liquor of choice? <laughs> in um, in moderation, always. But it's been really fun to kind of find different pieces to it. So the the coolest liqueur that I've found is called Green Chartreuse. And here's just a little story about it. It's only in it's in some really fancy cocktails. Uh, the last word is maybe the most famous one that uses Green Chartreuse. Um, it is made exclusively by Carthusian monks who brew it entirely in silence in their monastery. And at any time, there's only two monks in the entire world that know the full recipe. Isn't that cool? Like, I think that's why I like it so much is just for the story. And so it's very hard to, it's not often in liquor stores. It's kind of expensive, but you only need a little bit of it, you know, an ounce at a time in some of these really delicious drinks. And where are the monks located? Uh, For France. They're Carthusian. Carthusian, I believe, is the how, way you pronounce it. I read this on the bottle, so. That's very cool. <laughs> so you didn't know that about this, like, silence beforehand? No, so my brother-in-law is the one that got me into mixing cocktails, and he was telling me about it. He's like, there's some really cool drinks you can make with this. And by the way, let me tell you this story. Um, and he's a, he's a um, what's the word, social worker. So he also just appreciates mindfulness. He's a very intentional person and knew that I would also appreciate that side of things. So, yes. That's so cool. Well, I want to wrap up our time here with one last quick question. Yes. What's something that no one would ever guess about you? Oh, great question. Okay. Um, Something that people would never guess about me. Clearly, you're very intentional, passionate about community. Uh Uh-huh. Passionate about creating space. These are good things. I wish you had given me a heads up ahead of time, and I could have had a really good response. So, um... (laughs) There's, I have like all my funny responses that I use at high school youth group. Oh. So there's one, um, my favorite thing, and there's a really cool picture of this. I can kick myself in the head, and I did what? this at the Geographic Center of North America um, when I was a freshman in college, and there's the perfect picture of this. So that's one thing. Can you still do it? Cause, <laughs> I'm cause sure. No, that yeah. was a while ago. I know, but I'm also way more flexible than I was because I do yoga all the time. No, um... <laughs> So the something that people don't know about me um, is that, gosh, I wish I had a good answer. I think the one that I'll go with, one of the things that I also really love that was a really like big passion of mine that's definitely waned in recent months, um, but I uh, played the card game Magic the Gathering until like a year ago, and I still kind of play it from time to time. There's a very competitive trading card game, strategic card game, um, that really is like kind of the peak of nerd culture, if I'm being completely honest. And I was very into it and played in tournaments. And actually, wow. the owner of the 
comic book store where I bought my cards in Buffalo, New York. He and I became good friends. I uh, presided at his wedding with him and his wife. Um, and he paid me in magic cards. So there you go. That's something most people don't know. That's so cool. Well, thank you. <laughs> I don't know if it's cool at all. Um, and so I'm glad it's at the end of the podcast. So hopefully no one's listening anymore. I bet someone's going to ask you for a lesson. Absolutely. Right? Oh, my gosh. Oh, just give me that chance. So I'll have to learn. Well, <laughs> thank you for chatting with me and thank you for tuning in. It was so nice to learn more about you yeah, and, and your work. Colleen, thank you for hosting. You did a great job. Oh, thanks. I was a little nervous, but I think it went well. <laughs> it was fun. Stay in peace, everyone.